Welcome in to another edition, the first edition in a few weeks here of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net, and we are going to be taking a look today at kind of a year in review on what happened in high school athletics in the state of Wisconsin in the 2018-2019 season. And rather than me just babbling on and uh, filling up your airwaves with nonsense, hopefully not nonsense, but uh, rather than just me kind of walking through things, we're going to bring in a couple uh, staff members here at WSN. We're going to bring in our content manager and girls basketball writer Norbert Durst and also content producer Colton Wilson Again, as we kind of take a look back at all the happenings in high school athletics this year, we'll talk about some of the big stories coming into the year, things that emerged during the season, kind of give our take on some of the big moments, big games, uh, big athletes, everything that, uh, that went on this year as we, uh, as we put a bow on this sports season. Of course, with no summer baseball anymore, we wrapped up all of the sports this year with the soccer girls soccer state tournament uh, a week and a half ago or so so now it's uh, into summer action and preparations for the fall in the new year Colton Norb how's it going fellas going well going well on my end as well good to hear well let's uh, let's dive right into it and you know coming into this season I think there was a few stories that that kind of stuck out um you know, heading into the year, and and you got to go back. Uh, what was it? Last summer, I guess, early last summer, maybe late in the spring, technically, uh, when there was the the big news about some basketball transfers uh, that really got a lot of people's attention. That was a significant topic of discussion all summer long, all fall. Uh, there was kind of some uncertainty on whether that was actually going to happen. Uh, Players transferring into Nicolay, the the Johnson brothers, James Graham, Desmond Polk tried to, but uh, was not going to be eligible. So he ended up leaving the state and going to a, a private school, a prep school in uh, Indiana. Uh, it did work out though that the Johnsons and Graham and uh, in that group were able to to transfer to Nicolay. They received approval from the WIAA, uh, but that was uh, again a big storyline as we uh, were getting ready for last season, kind of around this time. Um, you know, what were your initial reactions, I guess, when you saw that, uh, what, what things kind of stood out, uh, Norb, um, when those really high profile transfers at Nicolay first, uh, first came out, you know, uh, you know, living in some prairie, I heard a lot of different things, um, you know, like they were automatically eligible no matter what, you know, those things come about, but you know, uh, in today's age, there are, um, you know, times where super teams happen. We, we've seen it in girls basketball with Heritage Christian. And, you know, as long as um, this, the uh, family meets the criteria of having a move, you know, it's unfortunate for some Prairie in that case initially, but they did uh, eventually uh, finish as a Division One state runner-up. Um, so, I mean, it, it worked out fairly well for both sides, but it was uh, um, interesting, you know, given the fact how high of a prospect Jalen is and him moving to a school that also got a couple other recruit, uh, other uh, um, high, highly recruited players moving to that school. So a little disappointing as far as, you know, keeping uh, uh, within your, where you grew up instead of an actual, a questionable move at best, I guess you could say it, instead of just having a family move where those do happen, but that one definitely seemed a little uh, different than the ordinary. 
Colton, as you look back at that Nicolay transfer and the kind of the hubbub that uh, that came up out of it, you know, what did you hear? What did you hear from from people that you talked to, other coaches, etc.? Uh, you know, what was your feeling on the reaction from other people around the state? It was definitely a shift in power. Obviously, you have Sun Prairie, who had gone to state the year before with Jalen and Kobe, and then. Nicolay getting in those transfers, it kind of shifted the power and again the focus to, I guess, D2 basketball once again, which already had a loaded field. And then you add Nicolay's power, and they became right then and there the favorite, so to speak, in the D2 going into the season. And it was kind of interesting, as you mentioned, Norb, to see it all how it ended up playing out with Sun Prairie getting back to state and, in fact, getting to the state title game in Division One. Nicolay running roughshod pretty much over the field in Division Two and in claiming a state uh, championship. But uh, that Division Two field also had Lacrosse Central, who benefited from a transfer uh, by Terrence Thompson uh, the year before. You had Milwaukee Washington, who got a transfer in uh, late in the year, a, a transfer from uh, from Texas, or was it Kansas? I can't remember where Trey White came from for sure, I guess. Uh, he just committed to Kansas, by the way, though. Uh, so it was kind of interesting to see that Division II field. It was kind of a, a microcosm of maybe where we're at in high school basketball right now with all of the transfers going on. Definitely. You saw it down in the trickle down in the lower divisions as well as Braden Daly from Mineral Point transferred out halfway through the year, and you saw kind of a shift in power from Mineral Point being one of the odds-on favorites to get to state to not getting theirs at the end, the end of the season. Yeah, that was another uh, another one of those situations that cropped up during the season. It was, um, I don't want to use the word soap opera, but it, it was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of, uh, you know, rumors about what happened, why he left Mineral Point in the middle of the season, where he was going to end up. You know, there was three or four different places that, that people thought uh, he would end up as a highly recruited player. You know, he's got an offer, uh, he's got Division One offers, and uh, will be one of the top prospects in that class, but ends up at Cuba City. in um, just one of those stories that was very interesting to follow this year. Norb, we, we're talking a lot about transfers on the boys' basketball side. And it's not just the Nicolays. It's not just the high-profile ones. Mark Miller did an article last year that I think opened a lot of people's eyes about all the transfers happening in the, in the FBA. There's already been a, a couple that have happened in the offseason. Are we at that point in girls' basketball? Is it not as big of a deal? Is it not as common? Or are we just not talking about it as much in girls' basketball when it comes to transfers and player movement? You know, I don't think it's quite as common, but it still happens. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, I don't think it's talked about as much. So I think that helps uh, make it seem like at times that they're not moving as well. But we, we did just recently have a, a girl from Ashwaubenon, Lily Hansford, uh, she has a uh, offer from Green Bay. She is transferring to Appleton East, who has um, a really good core of young players on that squad. Um, will definitely help them um, have a better chance to get to the state tournament this season. So, I mean, it's definitely happening in the girls. But anytime a kid like Jalen Johnson does it, um, there's a there's a lot more eyes on it, and people are going to talk about it a little bit more. But it, it is happening on the girls' side, and. Um, you know, maybe just uh, it's just not getting quite the publicity is, as as uh, the boys do. 
You know, the, the idea of player movement and transfers is nothing new, obviously. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it goes back many years. I mean, it happened, you know, here and there for a while. Um, the Corey Lucius case with, uh, with him and, and some other players transferring to Pius kind of kick-started the, the regulation and, and further regulation of transfers and player movement. But we're at a time now where it, it, it seems easy to move to a different school, and especially, obviously, for those kids that are freshmen or haven't reached uh, you know, the, the point where they have restrictions on what they can do. We saw the WIAA this year talk about that a lot. It was a significant topic of discussion at the area meetings last fall. There was different ideas talked about, you know, just philosophically, whether it's good or bad, um, indifferent, does it help the game, is it good for high school athletics, etc. But they also talked about some ways to potentially address it. And one of the things that they talked about and that was introduced was a, a rule that was adopted, uh, attempted to be adopted from uh, the state of Michigan that was in an attempt to address uh, the... Uh, the super teams, if you will, and you know pre-existing athletic relationships where it would have prevented transfers from being eligible if they had played AAU with somebody that they were going to be transferring to, or their coach they had uh, played for in AAU, etc. It ended up getting defeated, and I was, I guess, myself a little bit surprised about that. Um, Norb, you were at that uh, annual meeting where that was voted on and, and talked about a little bit. Uh, what was your reaction to that rule? I mean, is that something that you think could have addressed some of these things, or was it more, um, you know, kind of a talking point that maybe wouldn't have really done much? You know, I think we talked about this, and I think we see it so much um, in especially the upper divisions, Division One, Two, Three, um, with basketball that those schools really aren't going to say, "Hey, we're we're totally against this because they have some kids." What no matter what sport it is, they might be coming into that school. And, you know, some of the lower divisions just aren't affected all that much normally. So I, I, you know, I think a lot of that came down to, well, it's not really affecting me right now, so I'm not going to vote for it. And that kind of seemed to be, and maybe if some of the wording may have been differently um, um, put in there differently, maybe uh, some of those schools would have voted for it. But I think a lot of it came down to people know what's happening it, you know, it helps my school at times, so I'm not going to vote for it. So it, it was kind of a mixed mix thing, but we'll just wait for the next um, super team to happen, and I'm sure there's going to be people upset as well. Colton, does it feel like when it comes to player movement, especially in basketball, does it feel like the cat's out of the bag a little bit too much already, that it, it, it's not going to be it's going to be very difficult to, to go backward and, and restrict some of that player movement? It does seem like that. And to just follow up on what Norb said, kind of the jargon, the wording of how that rule was trying to be implemented, it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to say how a prior relationship was, whether it was playing in basketball or something. So, yeah. So transfers, player movement, Nicolay, uh, one of the big stories coming into the year. The other, uh, another big story heading into the 2018-2019 season involved Kimberly football and their incredible winning streak that was at 70 games, five straight state titles uh, coming into 2018. And there was a lot of talk for a long time about week one in Kimberly 
and Fond du Lac meeting up. Fond du Lac had given Kimberly all they could handle a couple different times in the last few years. Of course, Fond du Lac at the time was coached by Steve Jorgensen, who had been a head coach at Kimberly when they had kind of rose to prominence um, a few years ago, a decade ago now. And it, it really was a, it, it started the season with a bang. I mean, it, it, it had a lot of attention. It had a lot of people talking about high school football. And then that week one game where Fond du Lac held off Kimberly in an outstanding instant classic really was just a, a great way to start the season. Um, you know, as you look back, Colton, 70 games in a row. I mean, that just, it's hard to fathom in this day and age, and especially in high school football, to win that many games in a row. It really is. It's something that I don't think we're going to see for a while. And it was something that you just kept saying, who's going to be that team to knock it off? And like you had said multiple times, you're always going to bet on Kimberly until you're proved differently. Norb, 70 games in a row for Kimberly. Um, When we look at Beaver Dam girls basketball, for instance. I mean, is that a fair comparison, maybe, where Kimberly is at with their football program and Beaver Dam is at with their girls' hoops program? Oh, definitely. You know, uh, with limited games in football, you know, it's, you know, uh, a little more difficult to play some of those, especially out-of-state games. So maybe, you know, if they were allowed to play or if they played, you know, more of a national schedule, um, you could see you know, a loss here or there like Beaver Dam has had in the past couple of years. But as far as dominating the state, you know, definitely a big comparison because when it comes to those games, even if you're, you have a really good team, it just, they have that competitive edge. And when you haven't been able to beat them, anyone has been able to beat them in the state for so long, it's just tough to knock a team off like that. Cause Beaver Dam, yes, they've been, you know, very good, but you know, there's teams that have played with them, but it, when it comes down to the end of it, they're beaver dam sometimes that's in the other team's head and you know that other team's kimberly it comes into their head a little bit and you know and they have that ability to come back in games and both teams have shown that in the state and of course if we go back to that kimberly fond du lac game in week one i said it on football friday night after the game that it might not be and probably wasn't going to be the first time that those two teams played the only time that those two teams played rather and it sure enough, it happened in the playoffs where Kimberly and Fond du Lac got together again. That both had gone undefeated since that time. And Kimberly got their revenge, knocked off Fond du Lac in the playoffs. We thought maybe Kimberly's back on track. Maybe Kimberly's going to get back and even though their winning streak is done, win that sixth straight state title. But it wasn't to be as Muskego put together a heck of an effort, went undefeated this year in, in arguably the best conference in the state, the Classic Eight and knocked off Kimberly in a state title game, an excellent state title game, where it kind of felt like a lot of the games that Kimberly's played where they had a chance late and you're just waiting for Kimberly to do a Kimberly thing and and pull it out of their hat, and it wasn't to be as Muskego would win the state title uh, in Division I and Kimberly's state title winning streak. And uh, now we're all kind of looking forward to what's going to happen in 2019 as Kimberly is loaded coming back. Muskego is loaded coming back. Fond du Lac is looking very good. Bayport, uh, we're looking at a really strong field in Division I. Uh, do want to go back, though, to talking about a, a little bit more about the Beaver Dam girls program. Uh, I think that was still a significant storyline coming into the year, how dominating they had been, as you had mentioned, Norb. Um, I know you've talked to Coach Chase a lot of times. 
he did an outstanding article on our site uh, a few years ago. I think it was either the year they won their first state title or, or right around that time, just kind of reflecting back. And it's incredible to think that they went, uh, what was it? They, they didn't win a game for like 30 games in a row or something like that. Yeah, that's to, correct. Now to get to where they are, you know, what is, what is it taken? What has Coach Chase done? What have that Beaver Dam program done to go from that situation where they went winless in a, in a year to now the best program in the state of Wisconsin? You know, it starts at all the way down to the youth level. I mean, you're talking about kids when they're in, you know, third, fourth grade, maybe even before where they're just starting to dribble a basketball, start starting to get those shots up. You know, that's where it starts because, you know, yes, they've had talented kids. Last season they had six division one, six kids with Division one offers, which is just incredible. Um, and a couple other kids that, you know, are right on the edge of possibly getting a Division one offer. So, I mean, yes, you have to have talent, but those kids have worked a lot. Um, you know, and that started down when they were young and that just built off of that because while you still need talent to be as good as they are, um, there's a lot of kids on that team that hardly saw the court that were very good high school players. And that just has been an attribute to that program and those kids um, sticking around, even though there's, you know, the very talented Maddie Wilkies, you know, uh, they did have the one transfer in that in that group of six, uh, Tara Stoffick, who who was a Columbus kid, but she did open enroll to Beaver Dam to start her high school career. Um, but, you know, it talks, it, it really is about working that youth program, but you do have to, to have those talented kids. They've had some size, you know, those things have helped as well, but it's a lot of those kids working very hard at a young age. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to look at their schedule yet for this coming year, but what is it like? Uh, I imagine they're playing some pretty tough out-of-state opponents. I mean, is there a game on their schedule in or out of state that you could see them having a, a dip against and, and what in-state team might be able to give them a run? You know, uh, they're still going to be really good, even though they lost three kids that are going D one. Uh, they believe they play, uh, I'm not for sure exactly. And they're, they're out of state schedule, but they know, I know they play Aquinas and I know they play Marshall and uh, both of those two teams regardless of division, are going to be very strong. Aquinas returns all of their top players from last year's team. They also welcome in uh, Lexi Donarski's little sister, Macy, who already has a Division One offer. She's She just got one from Green Bay. So, I mean, they're going to be very, very talented. Again, not as much size as, as a Beaver Dam, but Beaver Dam did lose a lot of size just in this year's class. So, you know, that's definitely going to be a challenge. And Marshall, you know... <laughs> They're back-to-back Division Three state champs, and they're, they're, uh, they have some really good guard play. Still not to the level of Beaver Dam, but, you know, those two teams are teams that definitely could play with them, but it's just a matter of, you know, uh, probably still needing Beaver Dam to have a B or C game and them to have an A game to, to be in that game at the, uh, the last couple minutes. You know, speaking of talent and, and basketball talent, uh, it, it seems like, for five or six years now, we've talked about what a, a special run of talent it is in the state of Wisconsin for boys and for girls basketball talent. You go back and, and you look at uh, you know Sam Decker and Diamond Stone, Henry Ellenson, uh, the uh, Kavan Looney, the, the guys that have come out of the state you know a few years ago, and then you look at more more recently the Davis brothers, Jalen Johnson, Michael Foster, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. Um, all the guys that are, are there currently, 
on the girls' side, Enrique Ogunbowale, Megan Gustafson, the, the girls that went to uh, Marquette, Blockton, and uh, Heidemann, uh, and, and many others I'm forgetting uh, off the top of my head, Sam Logic and uh, Gabby Ortiz. I mean, it's just been an incredible run of talent in the last few years. Um, you know, Norb, as you, as you look over the boys' and girls' talent the last few years, what are the things that, that, uh, that catch your eye the most um, and, and things that stand out about that run of talent? You know, I think it's the high-level kids. I mean, there's, you know, plenty of, you know, the Horizon League-type players in those mix. Uh, but, you know, it's that's that high-level talent because we're talking about, you know, Arike Gumbawale, who not only went to Notre Dame, but she led them to a national title, when, you know, making those back-to-back, uh, those games with back-to-back game winners in the Final Four. And, you know, Shamira Williams just just narrowly, uh, just, just a little over 100 points, shy of Megan Gustafson all-time scoring record. She's now going to Virginia. I mean, there's just been a lot of high-end talent. Uh, you know, don't, don't forget about McKenna Warnock, who's going to Iowa, and she just graduated this uh, this last season. And, you know, there's just been a lot of high-level talent that maybe we really haven't seen so much in the past. We've seen, you know, kid here and there, but I just think that that high-level talent is really um, coming, to a, um, coming to the top of that uh, – the cream is coming to the top as far as what we've been seeing in the state of Wisconsin. Colton, as you look at that boys group of players that we mentioned and, and some of the others that have, have gone through in recent years, the Hausers and um, you know some of the other guys that, that have, have come through, what's your reaction to that? What's it been like kind of watching and following that group of players? So I'm pretty incredible. I mean, this past year, I mean, Three a week ago now, two guys were taken in the first round of the NBA draft, and Jordan Poole and Tyler Harrow both from the state. And then you have guys just from that 2018 class alone, and Joey Hauser that was starting at Marquette, Jordan McCabe that worked his worked his way into the starting rotation at West Virginia, Tyrese Halliburton that started at Iowa State, um, Harrow at Kentucky. The talent has been just phenomenal the past couple of years. And by the way, I saw a mock draft recently. I think it was from. Uh, Jonathan Gavani, or uh, not sure how to pronounce it, I guess, the uh, draft guru on ESPN that had Halliburton in the first round next year. So that will be uh, that'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out. Uh, another kid that was kind of under the radar in in a lot of respects, but as you said, had an incredible first season at Iowa State. We go back uh, to the fall, we go back to football, and, and one of the things that we uh, started to follow, especially as the season went on, was Bryce Hittner from Iola, Scandinavia, in his pursuit of the state rushing record. You know, when you, when you look at football, uh, the career rushing record is, is certainly one of the biggest, uh, you know, most high-profile records uh, in, the, uh, in the record book, and sure enough, he got it along the way, he ended up finishing with uh, over 6,700 yards rushing. Um, but uh, great to see, you know, a kid like that, that he, he wasn't a Division One kid as, as far as college uh, potential, um, maybe on the defensive side of the ball, but uh, just a hardworking, hard-nosed kid from a small school in central Wisconsin that, uh, that went through and did some pretty impressive things in breaking that all-time rushing record. We had a few other... Uh, you know, noteworthy uh, records or, or uh, you know, guys move up the list. Dylan Hendricks from Pulaski um, ended up in the top five uh, for, for career rushing as well with Bryce Hittner. So it was really, uh, really an interesting fall to follow as far as, um, as far as records. In the wintertime, 
you know, it, it wouldn't be a, a high school athletic season if there wasn't some kind of controversy, if there wasn't some kind of, especially lately, lawsuit, if there wasn't some kind of high-profile news regarding the WIAA. And it came in the form of a, uh, a wrestler in a wrestling situation with Hayden Halter um, down in the southeast part of the state uh, where he had uh, been disqualified from a match at the Southern Lakes Conference Tournament which would have made him ineligible for the regionals, which would have made him ineligible for state. And uh, he sued and ended up winning that case, uh, a preliminary injunction to let him wrestle, and then uh, won the initial appeal. Uh, it, was, it was not the, uh, the kind of story that we like talking about. It was not the kind of story that anybody likes talking about. But as you look at not only that particular case and that particular example, but kind of the, the wider um, impact that that decision maybe could have in terms of opening up officials and high school official decisions to litigation and court case. Norb, where, where does this come in terms of potential impact if this case does ultimately hold up and uh, in what kind of precedent it sets? You know, I think it definitely opens a door for, you know, other kids, whether it's a transfer, whatever else that may get initially blocked by the WIA to, you know, to go after them and say, hey, you know, they've lost this already in, the, in this situation. So let's let's try um, let's try to get past it as well. I just think it really just opens a door for for other situations where people are going to to uh, um, file a lawsuit to be eligible or, you know, whatever that be for that that season or for the upcoming season. Colton, is, is there, uh, you know, is there a fear or do you, I guess I think there is a fear. Do you think it's a, a, uh, a fear that's founded, uh, in, you know, reality that this could open up officials decisions to review and court review and, and things like that? Uh, is that uh, a legitimate concern? Do you think? I think there's definitely a legitimate concern that it could open the floodgates for, more cases like this happening in the future. It just kind of like the whole replay thing in correlation with the NFL. It's when is, when are we going to just take, um, in time, real time decisions? And is that going to be impacted by, I guess, lawsuits, I guess, is in this instance in the future. You know, and again, this isn't the first time the WI has been sued. In fact, it's been almost yearly for the last few years. They, they've been sued by schools in the association a few times. The, the Wauwatosa schools sued over realignment. Xavier sued over uh, a, a player being ruled ineligible a few years ago. Uh, you had the uh, Wisconsin newspaper lawsuit. You had, um, there, there's been some lawsuits uh, regarding transfer rules and things like that. So, it's not uh, it's not anything new necessarily for the WIAA, but again, it goes back to the idea that it's not the kind of thing that we're real excited about having to talk about or report on or uh, you know, kind of uh, dip our toes into. We just as soon talk about teams having success and players you know doing great things on the court or on the field. And uh, speaking of players doing great things on the field. One of the things that, uh, that kind of stood out in the spring sports season was the incredible dominance of the Webster baseball team, uh, coached by Jared Washburn, a former Major League Baseball player. His son, Jack, ended up as the uh, player of the year in the state of Wisconsin. He's going to West Virginia. Hunter Rosenbaum, another senior pitcher for them, is a Division I player. 
younger brother of Jack Owen Washburn, uh, also a high-level player. And they really just put on a show this year in, uh, in high school baseball. Uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, how many games they won by run rule. Uh, at one point, they had, um, they had outscored competition like 150 to 15 or something like that over a, a stretch of games. And uh, their pitchers were uh, through five total shutouts this year. Uh, just one of the more dominating seasons we've seen in in high school baseball norb anything else about some of the other spring sports that that stood out as far as uh bigger storylines either your softball girls soccer etc uh anything else that kind of stood out from uh from the spring season well definitely i think you, you got to mention uh sydney Suple from oshkosh north uh led them to an undefeated uh and then obviously a division one state title you know, she's going to Northwestern. Not only was she a great pitcher, but she could hit the ball, too. And I believe was just named uh, the National Player of the Year by Max Preps. So, you know, not only um, getting that recognition in the state, but also nationally as well. And they went to, uh, what was it, nine innings in that state title game against Sun Prairie, I think it was? Uh, yes, and, and Sun Prairie has Maddie Gardner, who is committed to Wisconsin. So that was definitely a big, uh, big pitching duel there. Colton, anything else about the spring sports that, that stood out to you besides the weather issues that we had, as always? <laughs> I was just going to say the weather. And it felt like after a wet winter that hopefully the spring would be a little bit less forgiving. And in comparison to last year, it was just as bad. Yeah, it was uh, It was cold. It was rainy. It, it seemed like we never had a nice sunny day to, to get any games in and uh, certainly did wreak havoc on, uh, on a whole lot of things. You know, as we wrapped up the spring sports um, last week or maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember now, uh, we did update the WSN Cup standings on WSN. And that is, of course, a, uh, an award that recognizes teams that uh, provide uh, you know, high level and, and high uh, finishes in all the sports. There's points awarded for every sport based on how teams finish in the postseason. And it was kind of a history-making year. Because for the first time ever, Arrowhead did not win the large school trophy. They did not have the highest overall uh, uh, number. And in fact, that large school trophy went to Middleton. So it was kind of interesting to see maybe a little bit of a changing of the guard there. Middleton had been very close the last few years. They have an outstanding overall athletic program and uh, moved ahead of Arrowhead in the WSN Cup standings to, uh, to kind of put a bow on the uh, on the season after all of the spring sports. Uh, let's kind of uh, go go around the horn here, if you will. I guess I'll play... Who, who's the host now? Tony Reale? Is he the host of uh, Around the Horn? I don't even watch believe, that show anymore. I'm not sure. Don't watch it. <laughs> was Max Kellerman many years ago, but I did watch it occasionally, but uh, just can't stand all the, the yelling and shouting anymore. Anyway, we'll go around the horn. And uh, each of you, if you could give me uh, kind of your, your, your biggest storyline that you, that you followed or that you thought was most interesting this year. And then I also want to get the best game that you saw in person this year. It could be from any sport, uh, what have you. So biggest storyline and then the best game that you watched in person this year. Uh, Colton, we'll, uh, we'll start with you as the newest member of the WSN team. I think the biggest storyline just... Focusing on the alumni was just being able to follow all of the 
incredible athletes that have moved on from football and basketball that play at that next level. In football, you had J.J. Watt coming back. The Watt brothers just being destructive on the football field. And then in basketball, having that class of 2018. In going back to the Tyrese Halliburton, he set the school record earlier this year with 17 assists in a game. And that's he's just a freshman doing that. So I think being able to follow just the alumni that had come out of the state was pretty fun to watch. As far as best game, didn't get to see many basketball games outside of during the regular season, but in the state game, the Milwaukee-Washington lacrosse central game in the D2 semis was one to remember for sure. And let's see, what are their, uh, was there eight Division One players in that game? I think it was, right? You had the, the Davis brothers and Terrence Thompson from lacrosse central. You had Foster, Long, if he would have kept uh, everything in order. Trey White from Milwaukee, Washington. Keontae Clay. So maybe it was seven. Seven or eight uh, Division One players in one game uh, between Milwaukee, Washington and Lacrosse Central. Nor, what were some of the, what was the biggest storyline that, that you followed this year? And then what was the best game that you saw this year? Well, Beaver Dam uh, trying to get that three-peat. And, you know, they did succeed. Uh, but, you know, when you have that big target on your back, whether or not how much talent you have. These other teams are very good as well. So, I mean, you still got to get the ball in the hoops. That's definitely uh, the most exciting uh, piece that I follow throughout the season just because of, you know, it's just not something that happens very often as far as a three-peat. And then uh, best game, you know, there were some good ones, but, you know, that final game of the basketball season, Bayport beating Middleton in the state championship game for Division One, uh, really doesn't get any better than that when you have a player score in the final seconds of the game. Uh, when Emin Nagel scored that bucket uh, to put Bayport up. So that definitely uh, the most exciting game of the season was a very final game of the season. All right. So I guess it's my turn to, to wrap things up. And, and the, the big storyline, I guess, that that uh, that caught my eye the most, uh, and I'll, I'll stick with football, was Kimberly and, and their winning streak coming into the year, the loss to Fond du Lac, and then coming back, beating Fond du Lac, and then trying to get that sixth, state title and not being able to do so. So just kind of the ups and downs of that Kimberly football team this year, uh, the the streak that they came in with and all the, the hoopla and all the discussion, uh, I, I think was the, the big one for me. Um, in terms of best game, you know, I, I we had a couple buzzer beaters at the Boys State Tournament where um, Columbus Catholic hit a three at the end of the game to, to beat, uh, who was that now? Um, uh, Bangor. Uh, you had a, uh, a buzzer beater in the, uh, what was it, the, uh, one of the other games. Now I'm forgetting. Uh, I think Lords uh, got one late uh, to get by uh, Osseo Fairchild. That was maybe with three or four seconds left. Um, hat tip to that, uh, that game that you mentioned as well, Norb, Bayport and Middleton, where you had a, a, a basket with 2.4, 2.5, whatever seconds left it was remaining. You know, I'm going to go with football, though. I'll stick there, and I'll go with uh, the Catholic Memorial game in Division Three state title where West Appear was up 24 to nothing in the third quarter, had taken advantage of a number of Catholic Memorial mistakes, 24 to nothing lead in the third quarter, and all of a sudden Catholic Memorial went on a run, scored 37 straight points over uh, roughly a quarter and a half to, to put that one away. Just incredible to see them kick it into high gear, Two high-quality teams with some uh, pretty talented uh, kids on the field. 
and uh, CMH getting that done, becoming these, uh, well, I guess at that time, they were the first team from the Classic 8 to win it, and then joined later in the day by Muskego, as the Classic 8 had a couple of state champions. You know, guys, I think that's going to put uh, put a bow on it for us on, on the uh, look back on the 2018-2019 uh, school year uh, and athletic year. Um, you know, put you on the spot a little bit, but but what are... What's a what's a big story or what's a, something that you're really looking forward to following in the upcoming season, Colton? Looking forward to the recruitment, I think, of those top kids in the state when it comes to, uh, well, now that the Davises have orally committed to or verbally committed to Wisconsin, seeing, following that Jalen Johnson storyline, um, following the Patrick Baldwin storyline, seeing how that recruiting process is going to pan out. Norb, what's the what's the uh, thing that you're going to be following this year and with uh, great interest? Uh, uh, definitely seeing if Beaver Dam can get four straight. Marshall looking for their third straight, and Marshall will have a new coach this season. Uh, Doug Pickard's taking over, who was at uh, DeForest for a number of years, then over at Barnevelt for a couple, and now the head coach at Marshall. And you know they have a lot of kids returning, so it's a lot of pressure on both him and the team to to make it three straight. So that should be a very uh, exciting thing to watch this season. You know, I'm going to go with Division One football, um, and not just Kimberly, whether they can get back on, on top of the heap. But as I mentioned earlier, Muskego is loaded uh, coming back this year. They've got eight or nine starters back on offense. Um, Bayport is loaded. Fond du Lac is looking very good. So just that entire Division One field, uh, you know, how strong that could and should be this year in high school football and uh you know again whether kimberly can get back on uh on top this year plenty of talent to do it but it's going to be a very difficult field to do so so that'll do it for this edition uh our our year in review our look back on all of the uh the goings-on in high school athletics in the 2018-19 school year we'll be back at it with a pretty regular wsn podcast going forward uh, where we'll start to talk about high school football, player rankings that will be coming out here in the next couple weeks. We'll be getting into uh, kind of a preseason look at, uh, at some of the different divisions. We'll try to touch base on some of the other sports that are coming up in fall uh, fall as well. And as uh, both Norb and, and Colton talked about, there's still a lot of news and things going on in uh, in the basketball world. If there are you know movement in some of that recruiting for Jalen Johnson and Patrick Baldwin and, and some of the other kids out there. Uh, certainly we'll try to bring on Mark Miller. Anything that goes on in, in Girls Hoops, we'll have Norm join us as well. So look forward to a little bit more regular edition of the WSN podcast going forward. Uh, for Norbert Durst and for Colton Wilson, I'm Travis Wilson. This has been a WISports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.